welcome to Ladies Who London podcast. I'm Emily Dell. And I'm Alex Lacey, and we are qualified London Blue Badge tourist guides. Each week, we bring to you some of the best bits of London. We talk about our favourite people, places and events with a bit of information, a lot of laughs and a whole lot of fun. We can be found on Instagram at Ladies Who London Podcast and on our website, guideemily.com and alexlacey.com and you'll find information about our upcoming walking tours and virtual tours as well as what the Blue Badge Guiding Qualification is all about. So welcome to this week's uh, episode of Ladies in London podcast. Yes, hello everybody. Thank you for coming back. Um, and this week we have a special edition because we are doing a Halloween special. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> you know what you're that? Uh, no, not quite. Our guest, Alex, who was that? <laughs> We do have a guest this week. We are, um, for, our, for the very first time, opening our podcast doors um, to our guest. And not only that, our lovely friend, Susie Riddell, who has made our little uh, voice jingles, has given him his own jingle. Introducing my husband's favourite actor, and I'm an actor, it's Lee Ingleby. <laughs> Hello! I love that Hello, hello, how are we? I love that jingle. I want to take it with me everywhere I go. You can have it. We'll give it to you. You can have it on your phone. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever anyone calls, you can have that playing. That'll be amazing. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Lee. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's such an honour. Uh, although I'm neither a lady nor a qualified Blue Badge guide, so uh, I'll try my best. You're not. So I think we're going to have to change it this week to Ladies Who London and Lee. Um, <laughs> That'll be Okay. <laughs> And you've been listening to um, our other podcast, Lee? Do. Big fan. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. Learning lots. Oh, thank you. What it's all about. <laughs> and you've been voting as well in the, in the polls as well. Uh, for Yes, yes, I've been voting. Of course you have. Time. Course in you fact, have. I vote three or four times. <laughs> so does Emily. <laughs> I didn't this week, actually. I didn't this week. It was very good. The first time she decided not to vote. Yeah. Um, so uh, we, we should probably test Lee and say, what's last week's episode on? Oh, yes, Lee. What did we talk about last week? Last week was, um, <laughs> what was it? <laughs> Let me just take a look. <laughs> I can't remember. Oh, test me again. That's too cruel. <laughs> Call yourself a fan. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, last week's episode was on Black London, correctly. Well done. Oh, I thought it was the rather high one. That was the week before. Maybe oh, that was the week before. before. See, I'm, 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 I have to catch up. He's behind. He's behind. Uh, well, so last week we um I we had a, a chat about some of the Black Londoners uh, that were based around Westminster, um and we had our two podcast options um were objects this week, weren't they? They were. So you went for a fabulous hat, didn't you? That one of the buskers would wear when he was performing. Yeah, it was um a fabulous uh, you know recreation of a you know, a sailing ship on top of a hat that Joseph Johnson used to wear and kind of bob it around and, and use it as, as you know, a street performance. And that's what I went for because I, I love his image. I find him really fascinating. Uh, and you went for something slightly more uh, kind of ordinary, something more day to day. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I went for a broom. I went for Charles McGee's broom um, and he would every day sweep the streets of Ludgate Hill. It went everywhere with him and it was just such a sweet image. So I went yeah. for the broom. So, Lee, which one did you vote for? Uh, I went for the broom. Yay! Of course you did. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, love you. I knew you were going to say that. 
Um, so we're going to have to find out now from Podcast Pedestal from last week, uh, which Ooh. one has won. And I have to say, it was pretty close. It was okay. pretty close. I mean, okay. we did say last week, we thought it was going to be quite a close one. Um, which way do you think it went? Boom. You think it went broom? Oh, gosh, I hope so. I don't I kept know, voting. I, I've got a feeling. I mean, the hat is a pretty incredible hat. But, God, please give it to me, Alex. Okay, right. Well, also, so, the hat had a very impressive 46 votes. Oh, that's good. That is pretty that good. Is good. Is it good and enough? And the broom, is it good enough? Is it going to win? The broom came in with 32 so the oh, hat takes it. Bloody hell. <laughs> oh, so, gutted for you. Oh, <laughs> She's gracious in defeat. Two, gracious in defeat. Three, two to you. Three, two to me. Winner. Oh, gosh. Well, yeah, well Joseph, Jacob, Joseph, I can't even say his name. Joseph Johnson for the win. Yeah. Understandable. I mean, it was a pretty amazing hat. I mean, in fairness, the week before you smashed me on free healthcare. So. I did. I did. <laughs> yeah. Which is a really unfair one. <laughs> but hey, there we go. So we have decided this week to abandon the Wheel of Destiny. So we yes we did not spin the wheel of destiny sad times last week um but that is because it is halloween week isn't it halloween halloween <laughs> it did not sound scary at all. halloween <laughs> halloween mate <laughs> are you a fan of halloween lee uh yeah yeah i like the stories i can't be doing with the knocking on the door you know what i mean <laughs> is that a bit bar humbug? It is a bit, isn't it? It is a bit bar humbug. Oh, it is yeah, a bit it is bar a bit. humbug. Have you you mean you don't like dressing up? <sighs> you, you do that for a living, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I just, no, no, I don't. I I turn the lights out <laughs> and hunker down <laughs> and ignore children. That sounds really scary. <laughs> or exit them from the front window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just stand there, blank face with a knife in my hand. Jesus, so Jesus <laughs> out of any passersby. <laughs> Well, we're thrilled that you joined us for Halloween week, then. (laughs) Yeah, really pleased. You're here, Lee. What about you Um, two? Are you big fans? I'm I'm a big Halloween fan. I love Halloween. I tend to spend Halloween parties dressed as death, standing in the corner of parties and lurching out at people. It's a lot of fun. Love that. Just yeah, I love Halloween. I went as Medusa last year at a Halloween party. Yeah, I had like all snakes around myself, wearing green hair. And a green kind of like metallic suit, yeah. Oh, fantastic! Oh my goodness, I'm, I'm, I haven't been to a Halloween party in a couple of years. Actually, they just seem to have not have happened, and I, I sort of missed them. I thought this year I'm going to do Halloween. Well, mm. <laughs> next year I'm going to do Halloween. <laughs> We're going to do it. Um, well, we've decided that uh, even though Lee is along for the ride, he is he's got to sing for his supper. So you're going to join us in uh, a Halloween story this week. And what we're going to do is we're each going to tell uh, either a ghostly or a kind of bloodthirsty story uh, linked to London's history. And so um, we're not going to have a podcast pedestal this week. It's just for pure enjoyment yes. of everything bloodthirsty. Yeah. So where are we going to start out? Emily, uh, do you want to go first with your story? Yes, okay. Well, um, just to let you know, a little warning. This is a little bit gory. Fantastic. Um, but I just love this story so much. <laughs> and there's been a lot, uh, a lot of documentaries and films that have come out about this as well. So, okay, so I'm going to take you Has back. Has Lee been in all of them? Uh, probably, probably. <laughs> I'll, like I'll name down. them at the end and see. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, I'm going to take you back to the year 1909. 
I remember it well. Yeah, early 1900s. Good year. Good year. Uh, Good year. And I'd like to tell you about a man called John Haig. Now, John Haig, he was born in Lincolnshire to a really religious family. Um, His dad, John, and mother, Emily, they were conservative Protestants. Uh, very strict. I mean, they built a huge wall in their garden to make sure that no evil got into the garden. And what? Into the house. Yes. No. So, I mean, as a child, you know, you're pretty freaked out about what on earth could be on the other side of the wall. I like the idea of evil just creeping over the fence. Like, <laughs> yes. A little kind of floor or something. Can't get over the wall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Darling, get the bricks. It's not bloody high enough. It needs to be at least six foot. Yeah. <laughs> Um, evil is short evil is at least under five foot yeah so um yeah a bit of a strict a bit of a strange upbringing uh, one thing that he did really love was classical music and he actually uh, won a scholarship to be a choir boy at wakefield cathedral now moving i mean so far he sounds like a complete psycho he really does doesn't he <laughs> um well he did actually at the choir school there was a boy that he didn't really like and the boy opened uh, a bible and he put lots of maggots in there <laughs> yeah so it's not not the nicest boy at this point um but at the age of 21 he starts working for an advertising firm and he is actually dismissed because he starts to steal money and not ideal is, no this is where he starts to have a bit of a downturn in life and he is placed in prison on a couple of occasions due to fraud now comes out of prison in 1934 marries a woman called betty but unfortunately due to fraud again he's placed in jail <laughs> and <laughs> you'd learn from your mistakes wouldn't you? Oh, you you would wouldn't you so <laughs> betty she is pregnant at the time when he goes to prison has a baby girl but has her up for adoption so it's not going very well so far is it? no it's not going very well um now after this when he eventually gets out of jail in 1936 he moves to london to number 79 gloucester road which is at this very, point very someone cool. someone listening who lives at 79 gloucester road is like what? <laughs> oh my god what's I'm, gonna happen that's where i live yeah. Um, so Gloucester Road is very close to the Natural History Museum, very close to Kensington and Hyde Park. Um, but unfortunately, he goes to prison again. He goes to prison again. And whilst he is there, he's thinking, now the reason why I keep being placed in jail is because the victim of all my crimes are still alive. So he starts, ah, I need to get to what is. Yeah. And whilst he was <laughs> in prison, there was something a little bit strange that him and the other inmates had to do. They had to bottle up acid, sulfuric acid. That, that and, seems legit. Yeah. And <laughs> John, so this is, you know, the I do it all the time. Dirties, such a strange thing to do. So just before World War Two. And what he does is he takes a little bit of the acid in a jar to his prison cell. He um, grabs a mouse and he puts it into the jar and watches it dissolve it takes 30 minutes yes for the mouse to completely disappear. 30 minutes is that it minutes for this mouse to just disappear um into so he's just left to go and vomit (laughs) so this is where he starts to think okay well this this is interesting this could be an option 
Um, and in terms of what? <laughs> well, for disposing of bodies, the idea mm, of putting them in acid. Yes, we're starting quite grisly, I have to say. We really are. Um, now, um, eventually, he comes out. He becomes an accountant, and in London, <laughs> that's a Pal- natural career progression, <laughs> right there. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, he becomes an accountant. <laughs> He's also a bit of an inventor, and uh, at his home at Gloucester Road, he invents all sorts of things. One thing was something that you put at the top of your stocking to prevent it from falling down. So he was a bit of an inventor. He was a very intelligent man, quite an unassuming character. Very friendly, but also a bit beige at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> a bit beige, you know? Nice in uh, acid jars. Yes, exactly. So anyway, he meets a former employer at the Goat Pub in Kensington. And Don't he... tell me he puts a goat in it in acid. But this uh, this guy that he knows, he befriends him again, and uh, this friend um, tells him that he's in the property business. He's got quite a lot of money, so um, he starts to think. John starts to think, right? How can I get his money? Essentially, how can I take over his property business? Has he not learned anything? I know, not at all. And his friend, who is McSwan, um, he says. Um, I've just been sent a letter for conscription. So it's World War II has just begun. Um, and during this time, if you're a particular age, if you didn't have a job, which meant that you had to stay somewhere, uh, stay where you lived, then you were sent to the front line, essentially. And John says to McSwan, look, why don't you just leave? Why don't you just get out? I will look after your parents for you. I will look after your property business until you're well, back. I feel like this isn't going to go as well as he... Uh... <laughs> So McSwan says, would you really do that for me? And he said, yeah, look, come to my home tonight. Pack your bag. Come to my home tonight. I want to show you a couple of inventions anyway. Um, and then tomorrow morning, I'll drive you to the train station. So he says, Honest. okay, great. Um, <laughs> so heads to his home. And as soon as he gets there, John takes this huge iron rod, hits him at the back of the head and kills his friend McSwan. He then ties him up and puts him in a 40-gallon drum. It's like this big metal drum. Puts the body in there and fills it up with sulfuric acid. <laughs> now, the smell, I can't even begin to think what it must have smelled oh like goodness. in there. Um, apparently, he wore a gas mask whilst doing this, but still the smell was, would linger. And it basically <laughs> turns into sludge, oh, no. which he then oh, puts. Oh no, Emily! I know, I know, I know. Which he then puts down a manhole at the back of his house. <laughs> oh, That's God. where the fat bird comes from. <laughs> now he tells his um, tells his friend pa- parents, um, "Look, your son's gone away. He's basically." gone uh, to Scotland until the war is over because he was worried about having to be uh, you know placed on the front line so his parents say well okay who's gonna look after the property business and he says well don't worry I will I mean what a lovely chap yeah um his parents um you know they don't really question him because he's quite a trusting guy you know people trust him so then world war ii is finished and the parents start asking you know where's our son and you think well what am I going to do so John says to the father, well, mm. your son is actually at my house now. He's returned from Scotland. So why don't I drive you to the house um, so you can meet? And then later on, I'll drive your wife over. So he says, oh, okay. Mm. Maybe because he's got a two-seater car. <laughs> that old chestnut. Well. 
So it drives over the father. The father is there, you know, is questioning why his son is not in his house. He then gets bashed over the head and then killed by being placed in this acid bath. Mm -hmm. And then after that, he goes and grabs the mum, brings her back, kills her, and also puts her in the acid bath. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Now, there are... um, two more well actually three more murders that take place in the same format the last one was a woman called olive um and olive was living in a hotel and this hotel it was called um the onslow court hotel which was in well not too far from gloucester road and at this point john has decided to live in the hotel um, and just use Gloucester Road as a place to basically kill his victims. And oh, he gets nice. on... It's, it's yeah. always good to keep, you know, work and, work and leisure separate. Yeah, exactly. Um, so he gets on with this woman called Olive Deacon. She is a wealthy widow. You know, her neck is just covered in pearls. She's wearing a fur jacket everywhere she goes. And she mentions to him one morning how she is really annoyed that her nails keep breaking off. And she said, you're an inventor. Can't you think of something that women can do? Maybe some kind of like false nails. I think it'd be a really good idea. And John's thinking, that is a really good idea. I'd like to patent it myself. So takes Olive into his car and says, look, come back to my workshop. Come to my workshop. I want to show you some of my inventions. Very good, yeah. Kills her, takes all of her jewellery, takes her jacket to the dry cleaners before trying to sell it on somewhere. Oh, no, don't tell me. Well, it's this that starts to really kind of um, uh, unweave the web that he has created because a couple of days later, somebody else in the hotel says, have you seen Olive? I haven't seen her for days. Um, And he says, oh, no, I haven't haven't seen her at all. And she said, well, Olive told me she was going to go to your workshop. Did that not happen? Mm. He said, well, uh, to be honest, I was waiting for quite a while, but she never never turned up. And I just presumed that she was busy and just couldn't make it. And she said, well, didn't you think that was weird? Didn't you think to tell someone? He said, well, no, not really. Look, if you're in such a state, let's go to the police. So they go to the police together. He's quite happy to go to the police and, you know, say, look, I don't have any connection here. Um, all I know is that she was meant to meet me and she didn't. And then the police start to look into his history and they have his jacket and they search his jacket pockets and finds the receipt for the dry cleaning bill for her coat. Schoolboy error. Yeah, exactly. And then they <laughs> You wouldn't get caught like that, would you, Lee? <laughs> Then they go to um, his house in Gloucester Road and it's there where they eventually find 28 pounds of human fat. Oh! Part of a human foot. Ball stones and olives denture, which was confirmed by her dentist. Oh my goodness. Um, So at this point, he is admitting it to the police that he had um, killed these people, he had dissolved them in acid, but he had hoped that because the body didn't exist anymore, that he could not be placed in prison for murder. But of course, this is not the case, because there is so much evidence against him. Yeah, it's half a foot and a 20 pounds of human fat. (laughs) Exactly. So then he starts to plead um, insanity. He says, with every victim... I stabbed a pen into their neck and I drank uh, their blood. I drank a pint of blood from every victim. 
Oh, and uh, we believe he was nice in his, yes, he was hoping to go into an insane asylum um, uh, and hope to escape death, but he didn't. He didn't escape death. And on the 10th of August in 1949, he was hanged. Mm. And actually, you can go to Horsham Museum um because he was placed in horsham police station where you can find his cell door on display oh mm -hmm. lovely yeah so he was quite a quite a famous yeah. serial killer you know 20th century serial killer to the point that as i say films and different things have been released about him one thing starring martin clunes from men behaving badly and various other movies and and different tv shows um he plays john haig incredibly well and it's called a is for acid oh yeah i remember that yeah <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, yeah i think i've heard about it i don't think i've seen mm. it but oh interesting uh, the acid bath murderer 79 gloucester road mm. and what about the nails you mentioned she was talking about her nails yeah so um because this came about and he you know he basically when he was at the prison cell he started telling everything and he told them about how olive had come up with this idea for uh, false nails and this was um, put out in the papers and in the press and John didn't but somebody else um, then started to create lots of false nails so it's because of this conversation where we think that we have the idea of false nails today oh that's creepy yeah, yeah it? it is yeah. isn't it that is super creepy yeah what well, there you go, guys. Do you know what happened to his work? His workshop, like his. his <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, God, it must have been condemned. It must have been horrible to find it, all that. Oh, oh yeah. Like, as I say, because the stench would have lingered, and because he put it in this manhole, essentially down this drain. I guess because you know it was a time during World War Two, everybody was really distracted. There was so much going on in terms of, you know, buildings being bombed and people losing their loved ones. But God, yeah, it's pretty gross, isn't it? Yeah, not nice. That is really nice. gross. Happy Halloween! <laughs> <laughs> Fab, well, that was a wonderfully creepy Halloween story. Thank you, Emily. Awesome. I mean, oh, not awesome. It's pretty gross, but... <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Yeah, nice. oh, really, I really enjoyed hearing about people being murdered in a bath of acid. How wonderful. Um, right, next story. Lee, are you up for sharing uh, your Halloween story with us? Ooh. Oh, mine's not quite as, uh, as gory. I'm going to take you to Covent Garden, oh. to the Theatre Royal in Drury Lane. I'm going to tell you about oh. some of the ghosts that inhabit the theatre to this day. So I'm going to tell you about... About three in particular. There's quite a few, apparently. There's a good handful of different ghosts that people have seen and, and experienced over the years. It's one of the oldest, I think it's the oldest theatre in London. It's been there since uh, 1600 and something, and then been rebuilt in, in 1800 and something. I haven't got quite the exact dates, but... Well, um, good knowledge. So I'll tell, you about, uh, I'll tell you about a couple of actors, but first I'm going to tell you about probably the most famous ghost there. He's called uh, The Man in Grey. And he's been uh, cited over the years, many, many times by dozens and dozens of witnesses. And uh, he's been described pretty much the same way by all. He's a young man in a powdered wig, dressed in a grey cloak, wearing like a tricorn hat, a three-cornered hat. And he's always sat in the same place at the end of the fourth row in the upper circle. And everybody always sees him there. They don't see him anywhere else. He's 
pretty much uh, exclusive to that. And um, so Cleaner, more recently, was there doing a doing a job. She's about to do a bit of vacuuming. She'd only been there a week. She didn't know any of this about ghosts or anything. Else. She just oh, that's that's in. a baptism of fire, isn't it? Comes in in the morning. She's about to put the heaver on, I think, and she sees this guy sat dressed a bit odd on the fourth row and she thinks oh, I'm just going to go over and politely tell him that I'm going to start some cleaning and would he mind and as she was approaching him he just stood up walked away from her and disappeared melted through Ooh. this wall Ooh. actually <laughs> freaked out I'd say <laughs> to say the least <laughs> I mean oh, I would what would you do yeah, oh, yeah I mean, I'd, I'd freak out I'd, I'd love to see a ghost but I think if it actually happens so yeah this, this cleaner you know naturally freaked out and ran away and told the staff and the staff were all going oh yeah oh yeah oh the man in grey oh yeah 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 no we've uh, we've seen him <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it was a uh, part of the course apparently but what was really weird in um i think it was in 1939 there was a production of the dancing years i don't know what the show is but um but all the cast were on stage doing a photo call and they're having their photo taken and half of them just suddenly stopped as they saw the man in grey stand up and walk across up in the, uh, in the uh, circle and disappear through the wall. I mean, that's freaky, isn't it? Right, when you have a collective yeah. sighting. Yeah, yeah. When multiple people see, see it together. That's pretty, um, wow, pretty remarkable. Yeah. So nobody knows who the man in grey is. I mean, there are theories that he was like um, uh, an actor and um, you know he was he likes to watch but um but during renovations of the theater in the 1870s workmen found that there was this false wall covering up uh, a room so they managed to break through and when they broke through and cleared through the rubble they found the skeletal remains of a man who was still wearing a gray cloak Ooh. but had a dagger thrust sticking out of his rib cage. Oh, no! Yeah, and they found that it was like a sort of a secret room, almost like a um, what was a, a box, I think, like a, a, you know, like a royal box kind of thing. Right. That wow. just wasn't used. And so the theory is that he was an actor who fell in love with another actress of a production he was in, but she was married. And yeah. so the man came to the theatre, found him, and killed him that's the theory nobody actually the theory. knows <laughs> do you know do they have the dagger is there anywhere um, i don't know i don't know be emily asks tricky it? questions nobody'd be great <laughs> wouldn't it if they, if they kept the dagger and the cloak yeah it would be yeah. i don't know and even the skeleton as well bring it yeah. out for productions <laughs> but but he's, he's been believed to be a bit of a good omen because apparently he only comes out in the day but he um he seems to appear prior to certain performances um, but coincidentally, he's cited at the beginning of what turns out to be successful runs, apparently, including more recently Miss Saigon, which was on at the Drury Lane. Oh, yeah. and, um, and so, yeah, so he'd appear and sort of watch the sort of the beginnings. And every time, apparently, every time there's been a cast change, there's been a sighting of the Man in Grey. Really? Uh, looking on approvingly, going, yeah, it's still good. Enjoy That's it. amazing. Yeah, so it's, he's. Um, he seems to be um, sort of considered quite affectionately, I think. Not scary. That's fantastic. Yeah. It's funny, I, have, um, I used to know somebody who was in, um, not the original, but the second version of Oliver, which was there, mm. and he saw him. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. That's great, isn't it? Yeah. 
So I'll tell you about, I'm going to tell you about a couple of comedians now. So the first one was a comedian, a guy called Dan Lino, who was like a Victorian music hall performer and comedian. He was best known for playing like the dames in, in pantos and stuff. Yeah. He's also quite famous for doing some clog dancing. He was quite a prolific oh. clog dancer. That's when he was rising up to fame. And he, he, he was hugely popular and world known. And he was, ended up being one of the highest paid comedians in the world, sort of, you know, the high in, in the Victorian era. And um, he kind of inspired Chaplin, inspired Stan Laurel. So he was, you know, he was oh, wow. uh, oh, pretty up there. He was a well-known dude, I think, and, uh, and very good. <laughs> well, it must have been. Uh, but he wanted to be taken seriously. He'd kind of, I think he'd outlived doing his um, dames in pantos. And he had this kind of obsession that he wanted to play Richard III. And so he just he kept trying to introduce the fact that he wanted to be taken seriously and do more serious roles. But nobody wanted him to do that they wanted him to carry on being a comedian because it's what he was good at it's what people came to see and it ate away at him i think it just eat at him and so he kind of became a little bit depressed because of this and it started to affect his health and he became an alcoholic as a result and just Aww. became a bit strange over time and the alcoholism started to affect him physically and to the point where he was he'd suffered from incontinence and he smell of we oh, a little no. bit and some of the cast would um, oh, you know, would complain about it and so Dan took it upon himself to get some lavender oil and he douse himself in his costume in lavender oil so instead of this overpowering scent, smell of we <laughs> there'd be an overpowering <laughs> smell of lavender smell about of the lavender. place <laughs> really tragically it, yeah it's it sort of it got it got the best of him and in the end he was um he started to forget his lines and he become erratic and he was taken to a lunatic asylum in the end towards the end of his life. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was only 43 when he died. So he, he um, wasn't oh, old. Girl, no. Oh, that's really sad, especially for it someone is, who was such a sort of yeah, famous, really, kind really of successful is. guy. Yeah, his, I mean, link, his link with the theatre is, um, is that every now and again, when, because he always had the same dressing room apparently, and every now and again, people can hear this rhythmic kind of tapping and drumming coming oh, from clogs. that room. And he said that he always used to practice his clog dance in oh. his dressing room. Oh, wow. And so there's been a lot of people that have said they can hear this, 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 this noise. A my favourite bit is every now and again, people get this strong smell of lavender. Oh. In various Actors have said that they've smelled it on stage. But it seems to linger most noticeably outside his dressing room, where his dressing room used to be. You're like, yeah, you know, this is years later, just this smell of wow. lavender. I hope that's is, the case. I hope it's not people just spraying lavender. And if, <laughs> is it there like, like the whole time or is it just, does it sort of pop up occasionally? I think, yeah, I think it more sort of pops up occasionally. It's sort wow. of like it's a, it's a reminder of him still being there or maybe, you know, nobody sees him. You just either hear him or smell him. Oh, smells so lovely. Wow. Yeah, so it's a nice sort of end that his his presence and his memory is still there. Surely glad that he was using lavender perfume in the end, though, because <laughs> yeah. otherwise, oh yeah, god, he's bad. You wouldn't come across the lingering smell of of wee, would you? Be, no, not really. <laughs> but the last one, which is my favourite one, was a very famous, very popular comedian in the early part of the nineteenth century called Joseph Grimaldi who 
was the man who pretty much was the blueprint for the clowns that we know today. So he was the, he was the person that started painting his face white and putting little colors on his nose and, and his lips. And the audience loved him. He was a massive celebrity oh, wow. of his day. Sort of around the early part of the 19th century. And yeah, he would draw crowds in far and wide and to the point where people would write plays. So he was just like the, the fool, the clown. And so eventually they'd write plays where he was the main attraction. And a bit like you, the... isn't it? Yeah, a bit like me. <laughs> <laughs> Who's that guy? Um, but yeah, so, so he was massively popular and he was a, a hugely physical and um acrobatic performer doing pratfalls and and stunts and all this kind of stuff and so he performed at Sadler's Wells and at Drury Lane among others but he used to do his performance at Sadler's Wells which was sort of for the working classes and then he'd race over after he'd finished his performance all the way to Drury Lane Oh, bless him. And do another performance there. And he'd do this day in, day out because he was so popular and he loved it. And such was the physicality of his, um, of his act that the Times, in a, in a review in 1813, said, Grimaldi is the most assiduous of all imaginable buffoons. And it is absolutely surprising that any human head or hide can resist the rough trials he volunteers Serious tumbles from serious heights, innumerable kicks and incessant beatings come upon him as matters of common occurrence and leave him every night fresh and free for the next night's flagellation. Oh my goodness, he's probably a very physical Gives you a sense of what what he put himself through. But that had a toll. So after all the years of physical exertion that his clowning involved, it began to take it on in his health and um and by 1820 i mean he was only in his early 40s by this point he was starting to suffer from frequent emotional breakdowns cramps spasms breathlessness and more importantly severe rheumatoid pain mm. through all the tumbling and stuff oh, bless and, him. and it was all too much and and eventually sort of about a year later from you know complaining about this he he collapsed after a, after a performance um, and the doctor was called and they diagnosed him as suffering from premature old age. Oh, I mean, that must be what exhaustion or something like that. Or I mean, I don't yeah, know. I guess. I mean, you know what I mean? They're just overworking your body. Yeah. yeah. Joints and everything I would assume, yeah. you know, yeah. but he got back at it and he performed a year later only to drop out halfway through, through ill health. Oh, this is heartbreaking. I know, I know. This yeah. is—I mean, they're all—they're all sort of tragic ends. That's the thing about these 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 people. And um, and then a year later, he tried again to do another play, but he couldn't even get through the rehearsals, and so he had oh. to he had to drop out. And so in nine, in eighteen twenty three, he retired. He retired at, at I think he was forty five at this wow. point, and he was utterly heartbroken because it's all he could do and it's all he oh, wanted yeah. to do. And so he quickly became depressed. And he fell into poverty. And I think the Theatre Royal gave him a little small wage to try and keep him going, but they couldn't, they couldn't keep that going forever. But he did manage to go back on stage at the, uh, the Theatre Royal in 1828 for a benefit performance. And it was kind of his farewell. Oh. Was it a benefit for him? Or? Yeah, I think it was. I think it was, it was mainly sort of billed as a, as a final farewell. 
for him, but he was so crippled with his with rheumatoid arthritis and stuff that his son had to help him carry him on stage. And they placed him in a chair Gosh. in front of the footlights. And he sang a song and um, did a bit of a routine as best he could, but the audience loved it. Mm. Apparently his magic hadn't gone, even though he couldn't walk and he couldn't move. He, um, he still managed to do it. And, and then a few years later, I mean, he lived for uh, another sort of um, 14 years, but he, he kind of died alone, really. His son had died. His wife had passed away. Oh, no. And he, um, he was found by his housekeeper in his, in his bed. Oh, I think he passed no. away in his sleep. It's really sad. It's really sad. But again, what's nice is this is the story that his uh, presence is still is still felt because mm. um, again, there's been sightings and and feelings that he's never left the theatre. His 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 one true love, um, and so there's there's been sightings apparently of his white face hovering in the uh, in the wings sometimes smiling oh encouragingly because apparently he was very um he loved working with actors and helping them hone their craft and he'd give them advice and he'd sort of say this is the best place to be on stage and this is how to do a, a, a platform to win the audience so he was very sort of like like to work well with the with the cast and and offer his advice and so yeah so so a lot of actors over the years uh, have seen this white face kind of smiling approvingly at the side of the wings. That's rather lovely. And um, sometimes people have felt a bit of a kick up the arse when, <laughs> when apparently <laughs> when he felt they haven't been giving it enough effort and stuff. And um, I think one of the, one of the lovely stories is um, some actors have, have heard whispers of encouragement in their ears oh. and, um, and little nudges. And sometimes little pats on the back if an audience reacts to a, to a thing where it gets a laugh. Some actors have reported they felt That's a pat on the back. Adorable. I mean, what a lovely ghost. Lovely ghost. Yeah. This, this is my favourite. There's an actress. She was during a, during a run of Oklahoma and she was losing faith in her part. She was getting a bit of stage fright and she felt like the, the audience wasn't, she was trying to play the comedy role and it wasn't, it wasn't working for her. And she was starting to lose her confidence and she was on stage, alone on stage, trying to perform this, uh, this song. And she said she suddenly felt these hands on her shoulder and then being gently pushed to a part of the stage. And then she felt her arms being lifted up and her head being lifted into a position. She said that oh when she goodness. finished the song, wow. the audience erupted in rapturous applause. I just got goosebumps. Felt, and she felt that she'd been given a, a bit of a nudge from, from Grimaldi himself, from old Joey. Wow. And then there was one last one where um, it was during an audition um, for The King and I, I think it was, where an actress was really nervous about the audition, as it is, because auditions are terrifying, especially having to go on stage <laughs> at somewhere imagine. as prestigious as Drew Lane and having to uh, audition, you know, just to get a part. And she said she just felt these hands being placed on her shoulders and a little squeeze. And she said it felt it gave her the, the, the encouragement to give, a, to give the performance. And she said she never felt scared. Mm. She just felt reassured. Aww. And she got the part. She did the same. Yay! And she got the part, apparently. And that's he knew she presence. was the right, right person for the job. Yeah, and that's the presence of Joseph Grimaldi. So these are nice ghosts, I like to think, Aww. that they're... Um, 
the, the little um i mean we're a bit of a superstitious lot i think when it comes to theater and i think you cling on to <laughs> what you can get but i like those stories they're uh, they're nice that's, that's fantastic oh i really love that i like it as well i wonder i'd love to be kicked up the ass well that do you know what i mean sort of like by a weird <laughs> presence <laughs> what? Yeah, or like you know to feel that pat on the back yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Yes, I really rocked that. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what a lovely chap, eh? Yeah. He sounds lovely. like a lovely guy in 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 life and in death. He sounds even better. Yeah, I think he's one of these. Like, I think his story because he was such a massive celebrity. Apparently, I think. Yeah. Oh, I don't think I, we should make a film about him or something. Mm. Be amazing. That would I be fantastic. If when he was found when he had died if he was still wearing his makeup i get the impression that oh that'd be lovely wouldn't it yeah yeah they do do apparently there's a place in london somewhere where every year people dress up in clowns in memory of him and perform the the final song they go to his grave i think as well yeah yeah because his graves is because i think the graveyard itself got demolished didn't it but they've kept his grave which is not far from um king's cross i don't think yeah but yeah, That's they performed so cool. this song is called Old Codlings, I think it was called. The oh. song that he sang oh. for his final performance. So yeah, they're nice. the ghosts of uh, the Theatre Royal in Drury Lane. Oh, thanks, Lee. Pleasure. Yay. Thank you so much. It was lovely right, reading about him, actually. I really enjoyed it. Anyway, you will go. Right, well, for my uh, Halloween story, we're going to go over to the very ghostly and very bloody uh, Smithfield Market, which is over in the city of London. Um, And I want to tell you a little bit about uh, some body snatching that went on there. But before we do that, I want to tell you um, about a particular site that was uh, right by Smithfield Market. Um, for many, many years, which was Newgate Prison. Uh, now, Newgate Prison was known as one of the most um, sort of notorious prisons in the country. It was known as the, you know, one of the seven circles of hell. It was really awful to be imprisoned there. Uh, and in particular, people that would be imprisoned there would be um, women who'd been brought in from towns around the country before they were shipped off to Australia. Um, and it was really, really hideous. But as well, it was known for uh, murderers being kept there because this is where people would leave to go over to um, the execution site, which was originally at Tyburn and then later, which was directly outside uh, Newgate Prison. Um, and just over the, the road from there is a church called St Sepulchre's. And in St Sepulchre's, there is a handbell. And this handbell was used uh, for executed prisoners, or prisoners, I should say, that are about to be executed. Because what would happen, there was a tunnel that ran from the church, under the road, and into Newgate Prison. And the night before the execution would happen, uh, the priest would go through the little uh, alleyway, down into the prison, and would stand in front of the... uh, the the cell of the condemned person now i kind of imagine that if you are condemned to die the following day you are already pretty uh you know scared about that Mm. um but they tried to freak you out a little bit more because he'd take this bell and he would ring it in front of the cell at midnight and he would say these words all you that in the condemned hole do lie prepare you for tomorrow you shall die watch all and pray the hour is drawing near that you before the almighty must appear examine well yourselves in time repent that you may not to eternal flames be sent 
and when St. Sepulchre's bell in the morning tolls, the Lord above have mercy on your soul. Oh, crikey. Anyway, sleep well. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason I mention this is because when the prisoners were taken for execution, um, if you had been, because there were so many things that you could be executed for in the past. It could be stealing. It could be a whole variety of weird things, being on the king's highway with a sooty face. I mean, really bizarrely specific stuff. And if you were executed, generally your body would be given back to your family for burial unless you were a murderer. And Emily, your acid bath murderer may well have had this fate uh, come to him because if you were a murderer, once you were executed, your body would be given to uh, the hospital. And a lot of the time, this would be St. Bartholomew's Hospital, which is one of the older hospitals in London and is on Smithfield, it's on, on the market area. Um, and doctors would use the bodies for dissection and for training other doctors. And this is, of course, this still happens today, um, not with executed prisoners, but, you know, bodies are needed to learn. Um, now, of course, if you are relying on executed murderers for your uh, bodies, your cadavers to work on, there obviously aren't going to be that many of them. And supply is really going to, uh, no, the other way around, demand is really going to outweigh supply. So this is where we see something happening, which uh, becomes a little bit creepy. This is where we see body snatching happening. Um, I know, <laughs> it's going to get really gory. Now, there's a little place um, that's been built at the side of St. Sepulchre's Church, which is called the Watch House. And this is where somebody would sit at night to watch over the graveyard of mm -hmm. the church because they're watching out predominantly for body snatchers coming in. Um, and the thing is, this gives us a couple of little uh, phrases. So if you would sit in the watch house during the night, this would be known as the graveyard shift. So that's where we get that ah, phrase from. Ah, <laughs> it's pretty cool. Huh? We have a thing they're looking out for um, are people who've been buried before they've been, before they're actually dead. Now this sounds really weird, but there was a, a bit of a thing going, I know, right? There was a bit of a, um, a sort of thing going around that, that people could be buried uh, when people thought that they were dead. But actually they weren't. And, and there are a few instances where this, is, this has happened. A few coffins have been dug up in the past where people have been buried and then um, someone's thought, I, actually, I'm not sure they're dead. And they open the coffin and the person is not in the position they left them. They've been clearly trying to get out and they've obviously died in there because, uh, you know, people can go into a really deep coma and you can't always tell uh, from just looking at somebody or listening to their heartbeat or whatever, whether or not they're dead. Now we've got, you know, all the kind of electropulse and all that oh, sort of stuff um, but back in the day that was the thing and people started to get freaked out about oh. this so i know <laughs> it's a really horrible thought my worst fear i think you've just <laughs> i know i'm really sorry <laughs> nightmares for days you, you can find out about some of these people online and you just suddenly hear this like <laughs> well, this is the thing six feet below six feet below you can't. you're not going to be able to hear that no. so what they started to do was to attach bells coming out of the coffins um so that if somebody uh, you know yeah, was to wake yeah. up they could then ring the bell and so this is also what this uh, graveyard shift person is looking out over the graveyard for frankly if i, I heard a bell tolling in the middle of the night i'd be out of there oh that would freak you out <laughs> even more right? i know um but again we get some great phrases from this we get saved by the bell and ah. we get dead we get dead ringers as well 
Oh, I like it. Yeah. I know, right? So anyway, so this, um, I've just thrown that in because I like it, but basically we're talking <laughs> about body snatching for the most part. So the 18th century in particular, this, this demand for uh, legally obtained cadavers is, you know, massively outweighs supplies. The, the number of executions is dropping because certain crimes like shoplifting, forgery and that kind of thing are no longer punishable by death. So you're getting a lot for your bodies because not every single body would be a murderer. Sometimes they would, wouldn't have a family to claim them. If there was no one to claim them, you know, don't waste it, that it would go to the, uh, to the hospital. Um, and so this thing starts cropping up of people called uh, resurrectionists or body snatchers, or they also go by the name of Burkers. And you might have know the story of Burke and Hare in Edinburgh. Mm. Um, and this is where the name comes from, from Burkers. And basically they would dig up the fresh cadavers and sell them on. And there was a little pub, uh, which used to be called uh, the Fortune of War. Really sad, it's not, it's not a pub anymore, it's, it's offices. But in there, the back room, they had this, uh, this space where they had kind of benches that were all the way around the edge of the room. And these body snatchers would be digging up freshly buried cadavers, bringing them to the back room of the Fortune of War. And the doctors would then come in and would pay for the ones that they wanted to take. So the freshest ones or the ones that, you know, looked the best for their um the, the surgeries they wanted to do so well, which all sounds if you walked in accidentally you'd be like oh, I mean... oh sorry <laughs> don't <laughs> mind you see like 10 bodies where somebody's picking the best one i know i could imagine <laughs> if one of them woke up as well yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't stop here people go a bit further because again even with all of this body snatching people realize there's a lot of money to be made because they're digging up these bodies and they're selling them on so they're making a lot of money and people start to become a bit nefarious about it. And there are three men who are arrested and their names are brilliant. So firstly, Thomas Williams, fairly standard. Then we have John Bishop, who Ooh, is a very famous that. comedian nowadays, and James May. From oh, Tokyo. I knew there was something about him. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Always something a bit dodgy about that one. I know, right? So Thomas Williams, John Bishop and, uh, and James May. And they are arrested for the murder of a 14-year-old boy so that they could sell his body to surgeons. And this is bad enough, but when they raid uh, John Bishop's home, they find clothing there from several different victims. And there was a well in the back garden. And John Bishop and Thomas Williams admitted to murdering the boy in the well. And apparently there were kind of, um, they found samples of cloth in the well where, you know, as they, as they drowned the victims, hauling them back up, the kind of cloth had got caught. So there's, you know, a variety of people. And they also... Um, uh, admitted to murdering at least two other victims in that well as well and they could get eight to twelve guineas for the corpses which is a, a pretty substantial amount of money uh back then is it, now is it, this is went quite a, is that quite a bit of cash well so um a guinea in that period of time is probably worth about one pound five so you'd be talking you know <clears throat> eight to 12 pounds, which, yeah, is, I mean, some yeah, yeah. In, in this period yeah. of time, a lot of people wouldn't be earning 10 or 15 pounds a month, you know, uh, or that would be a lot of money. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's pretty decent. Mm. Um, a lot of people in this period of time, so average uh, wage in London is about 70, 80 pounds a year. So that's, it's a fair whack of money. So you yeah. can understand <laughs> how the money got the better of them and they decided to take matters into their own hands. Now in a beautiful sort of, circle of life kind of thing uh they go to trial john bishop and thomas williams are hanged at newgate now uh, james may is pardoned it's believed he didn't have any knowledge of the murders so he is pardoned but john bishops uh, sorry john bishop and thomas williams 
their bodies are then sent to the hospital for dissection. <clears throat> which is exactly what's happening to their victims. Yeah. And, and then for two days, their remains were viewed by the public as well. People loved uh, a bit of gory tourism back then. Oh, yeah. how, were they, how were they killed? Oh, they'd be hanged. Oh, they were, oh, okay, they were hanged. They were hanged, hanged, yeah, at Newgate Prison, so just outside. So they would have had that bell uh, in front of their uh, their cell the night uh, before, and they were executed at Newgate and literally just taken a couple of hundred yards up the road to St. Thomas's Hospital, uh, sorry, no, St. Bartholomew's Hospital, which is where they were then dissected and, yeah, put on show. Wow, and I I, I bet they um, covered that quite a lot in the newspapers, to make sure that anybody out there that was thinking about body snatching could potentially end up like this. Well, yeah, but I mean, again, the, the, it's that thing of the death penalty doesn't really put people off, does it? Because people never think it's going to happen to them. No, but there was a lot in the papers. You can find some great sort of um, diagrams of, of uh, like I said, diagrams, you know, sketches, pictures of, of how the newspapers imagined it would look of them sort of chucking this, this boy down the well. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was, it was pretty big news at the time. Because so uh, it's like, one thing, isn't it, to body snatch, but to think oh, yeah she would just well let's kill him yeah <laughs> i'm a bit short on cash guys should we uh should we talk that guy over I can't there be bothered no, digging awful. people up let's just let's just get to the nitty-gritty yeah. oh, no, it's pretty grim, hideous yeah. yeah so there we go especially yeah. you know someone of that age 14 yeah Oh, yeah. and, and there is a ghost in that area as well. Now, it's not from these two chaps, uh, but I just want to throw in a ghost story. Um, the Newgate Prison is known for being, as I mentioned, one of the worst prisons, uh, not- most notorious in London. And just across the road, there's a pub called the Viaduct Tavern. And the Viaduct Tavern is an old gin palace. It's a really, really cool spot. And they're in the basement of the pub. There are some old cells. Now, they're not from Newgate Prison. They're from a debtor's prison that used to sit on the site. And we've spoken about debtor's prisons a bit before. Um, but there is a ghost in in there now if you ask them nicely they will take you down and show you the, the prison uh, the, the, the cells at the bottom yeah. um, but one of the uh, the old managers of the pub i think it was in the 1970s or 80s he was alone in the pub his wife was upstairs so they lived above the pub so she was up there but he knew there was no one else in he was closing up for the night and he went down into this room and the door slammed behind him the lights went out and all of a sudden a voice in his in his ear went it's just us now. Oh, oh can what? you imagine? No. And so he freaked out, as you can imagine, started screaming. His wife heard. He could not get the door open. He was pulling with all of his might. The door was fast. It just, it wouldn't open. It wouldn't budge at all. And she came down. She heard him screaming. And on the outside of the door, with one hand, she just pushed the door open. Yeah. So something was keeping it closed <clears throat> from the inside. Oh. But from the outside, it was fine. Oh, I've been in there and it is proper freaky. Yeah. It almost I have like, like little cells that you'd have to kind of bring your knees up to your chin in order to kind of like get in these little yeah. pages. It's... Did they did they scare you when when you went down? Because when I went down with some guests a couple of years ago, we went in. They slammed the door and turned the lights out behind us. And I have to oh, say, no. I was trying to be really cool and I was freaking out. <laughs> No, 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 they shouldn't do that. God, I would have I think said. it depends who you get. I think that's when they're a bit naughty. It's not, yeah. it's not a pleasant being on spot. your own, though. That would be terrifying. Yeah. 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 Especially, God, what did he whisper in his ear? It's just it's us It's now. just us now. Ooh. <laughs> New yeah. pants, please. <laughs> All change. Oh. It's always a whisper, isn't it? It's never anybody going, it's just us now. <laughs> You know what I mean? That's ter- well, I suppose that would terrify you. Oh, it? Hey. <laughs> it's 
just awesome. So true. It's always like... Yeah, you, you've never got someone to go, all right, duck. Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, <it's> <laughs> <laughs> get your wife to bring us down a couple of sarnies i know i don't if anyone's been watching ghosts on bbc it's a fantastic series right. um i really really enjoy it but they've got all these um sort of plague victims in the cellar and they're very funny they're just sort of standing around watching everybody who's doing all the kind of um the digging up of bodies and the and the sort of changing of fuses if you've not seen ghosts i highly recommend it it's a cracking watch nice. um, really really funny yeah have you ever had any ghostly going on no but i have had um there was an occasion where i was guiding i was actually tour managing and i was down in bath with a group um there were I mean, sort of 50 students over from america and we were there for two nights and at the end at the, uh, the the first morning that we'd um you know after the first night one of the girls came to me and she said um I just I didn't sleep at all last night um, because I the, the baby crying I just I couldn't sleep at all. Could you ask the staff if um, you know if I could be moved or, or you know whatever? And so I went to the staff and I said, "Well, oh, you know, she didn't sleep very well because this baby." And they said, "Well, there's, there's no baby in oh. the hotel." And I said, mm, "Okay." Uh, and I said, well, "Where would you hear that?" And they said, "Well," and I said, "You've got ghosts, haven't you?" And they said, "Yep, yeah, we've got ghosts." Oh. And so. Um, I decided not to tell her. So what they told me is that there was at the back of this sort of big dining hall, which we'd all had dinner in, there was um, a little kind of skittle alley, you know, that you could just, the kids were kind of playing on the skittle alley that night. And apparently there was the ghost of a young girl and boy, because this used to be a nunnery that they would take in children. And there was a ghost of uh, a young girl and boy who used to be um, seen in, in that skittle alley. And there was the cries of children as well. And so I decided not to tell them this, but I just said to the girl, look, there's no... Um, there's no problem that the baby's gone. It's not going to be an issue for, for tomorrow night. And she was fine the next day. And so as we left the hotel, I, cause somebody had asked, you know, are there any ghosts? Cause it was like an old kind of slightly spooky looking place. Mm. And so on the coach the next morning, as we left, I said, so some of you asked if there are any ghosts and yes, there are. And as well as, as, as the children, there was also this thing where you'd have a row of rooms and everybody would get hot water. And then one room in the middle would suddenly get cold water, but the next room would have hot, but they were all linked by this one pipe. So there was no reason for that to happen. Mm. Um, and that would happen randomly to different rooms along this one section. And someone had had that issue that day. Um, and, um, so I told them, I said, you know, there are, there are these ghosts. And I told them about the water thing. And I said, and there is the ghost of uh, a young girl and a young boy. And one of the girls on the coach just went absolutely white and she just looked like she'd had the fright of her life and later her mum came to me she said you know when you said that um my daughter had woken up in the night and she had had she in the morning she thought she'd had this dream that she'd woken up and seen a young boy and a young girl sitting at the end of her bed playing and they they sort of looked up at her oh and she said that when I told them that she realised that it wasn't a dream and she'd woken up in the night and seen these two ghosts. And she just wow. went, I saw her. She was sitting about three rows back from where I was talking and I just saw her. She just went white. It was really, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. It's yeah, really creepy. So I've never seen anything, but, but, but guests I've been with have um, had some kind of experience. I did once stay in a, a place in Belgium when I was on tour and it was this kind of really old sort of manor house type hotel. Um, and the room I stayed in, um, I'm not normally kind of weirded out by 
kind of stuff like this. And this one room that I stayed in, we were there for about five nights and I slept with the light on every night because I felt, there felt like a malevolent presence in the room. And I did not feel comfortable turning the light out to go to sleep. And I'm not like that. I have to normally have dark rooms to sleep. And the light, I, I couldn't turn the light out. And, and I didn't dare ask until the, the end when we left. And I said, oh, you know, is there... Yeah, is there any kind of thing here? And they said, yeah. And, and I said, which room is it? And they said, well, it's normally your room, the one that we put the tour managers in. So oh I was like, ah! So yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't wanted to turn the light off. just got this feeling. It was really horrible. Yeah. Anyway, have mm. you seen anything ever? Either of you? I have uh, felt something. Have you? Uh, yes, I have felt a hand <gasps> stroke my head and my face. And I wasn't drunk. <laughs> and you were alone <laughs> um I, yes i was alone i was going for a bit of a hard time and i was really really upset about something and i was just in like you know just in one of those weird zones and um yeah and i just felt this hand i felt the the fingers just go over my face and Whoa. i instantly stopped crying and i knew that it was something that was whatever it was or whoever it was it was something really caring i don't know if i Aww. knew them but it was it was a really lovely feeling and it made me stop you know being emotional straight away oh, interesting all right so before we get to the wheel of destiny we're going to let you know what we're up to emily what have you got uh, coming up so I've got a couple of virtual tours. So on the 2nd of November, I've got my street art tour, which is at 7 p.m. And then on the 9th of November, I have a sketch tour of Trafalgar Square, where I'm going to be telling you the history of Trafalgar Square. And we'll be stopping about three or four times to sit down with paper and pen and sketch it as we go. So this is also a virtual tour. A virtual tour, so, fab. Yeah, so people will have to have their pens and papers at the ready because at some point I will be asking them to start sketching. Um, so yes, and you can book both of those from my website, which is guideemily.com. Fab, that there. sounds really exciting. I like the, uh, the virtual tour, um, virtual sketching tour. I think that's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have a tour this weekend, which is street art. This is an in-person tour. So you can either do virtual with Emily uh, from your own home or if you want to come out and, and have a little wander with your mates. And this week I'm doing the North Route. So I've been doing the South Route lately, but there's a lot of really cool stuff that's gone up. So we're going to be starting at Old Street and finishing at uh, Shoreditch High Street. Um, so sort of the, uh, the other section that we don't often do. Um, and I will have some more dates up for walking tours soon uh, in the next couple of days. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Lee, what walking tours have you got going on? <laughs> I'm doing a walking tour of my career. Uh, it's very <laughs> 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 uh, no, no walking tours for me, no. Although um, if you'd like to uh, have a look at, look at Criminal that came out on Netflix a couple of weeks back, that's the... Uh, that's the latest, I think. It's, uh... Anybody snatching in there? Well, there's a couple of tales and uh, horribleness <laughs> in some of the uh, some of the stories in that. So, uh, if you haven't seen it already? Check it out. It is very good. It is very good. Fabulous. Yeah. Right. So it is time for da, 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 da. the wheel of destiny. The wheel of destiny. So wheel, 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 wheel of, of, of. Oh, yes. destiny, destiny, destiny. You've been wanting to do that for weeks, haven't you? <laughs> no. <laughs> Please, Please do. Do. 
Now, the plan was originally that we were going to get Lee to spin the wheel, but of course, we're doing this um, over Zoom. So uh, mm. I'm afraid you're not going to be able to. I pretend. Sorry, not sorry. Pretend. <laughs> so we'll, we'll pretend that you're doing it, but Emily can spin it instead. Okay. So uh, are we ready? Are we ready? Yes. Let me get the wheel. Fabulous. Okay. Let me know when you're ready. I'm ready. Okay. Here we go. Ah, where's it stopped? Oh, oh, okay. So, well, actually, I don't know if this is allowed, Alex, because it actually landed on this one last time we spanned the wheel. Is that allowed? Yeah, I guess. Oh, well, we waited it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, so it's Westminster again. Oh, fab. Okay, we're back there. Well, we did say last time there's tons there, so I suppose that's much there. Um, okay, so where we, got... do we go with this? What would you do, Lee? Westminster. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Uh, I suppose there's lots of lots of stuff over the years that have gone over there, haven't there? Yeah. Oh yeah. Parliament and stuff and. Oh, but you know where we are next week, fifth of November. Oh. Oh yeah. Ooh. There you go. Oh, shall I do? Yeah, I'm going to do the gunpowder gun... plot. Oh yeah. That'd be yeah, interesting. That sounds great. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. I think it's one of those, isn't it, where you sort of know the end result, but you don't know how it all came about and the details and stuff do you yeah, we no, know about you. penny for the guy and all of that but we don't know the uh yeah 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 i'll do the gonna find out yeah fab yeah. oh that's brilliant that's perfectly uh uh yeah perfectly placed for the bonfire night which of course yeah. this year we're not really going to get much of but we will do it in podcast form instead nice. oh fabulous interesting well good all right well uh that is it for this week then Thank you so much for joining us, Lee. Yeah. Oh, it was you. my pleasure. I really enjoyed it, actually. I'm sure, I'm sure you'll be back at some point in the future because you've yeah. uh, not got much on no, I'm going to charge next time. I'm not doing it. I'll do one for free. Yeah. <laughs> the next one's oh, a Swiss gonna, brand. We're going to we're gonna have to start asking for donations, aren't we? Getting yeah. back on or, or keep him away, one of the two. Thank you to our Patreon uh, listeners. <laughs> well thank you so much for joining us um we're thrilled to have you and we'll see you again i'm sure at some point in the near future Definitely. nice to have shared your company oh thank you <laughs> likewise and we'd like to say a massive thank you to susie riddell for her fabulous uh jingles including her lee ingleby special my favorite thanks susie yeah absolutely <laughs> uh, and also to our lovely uh jingle meister ben frost you can find him at benfrostmusic.com Thank you so much, everybody. And we will see you all next week. Yeah, have a wonderful Halloween. <laughs> my voice broke out halfway through my haunting. <laughs> oh, brilliant. There we go. That was the ghost of John Haig. Yeah. <laughs>